Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Today we're going to talk about ascension. Such a funny word, such a fantasy sci-fi word. It would seem, why is she going to talk about ascension and what does that even mean? Well, first off, I don't mean a cult. Just to get that out of the way. What does ascension have to do with strife? In the politics and religious intergroup quarreling these days, it would seem, what does ascension have to do with either of that? But I think it might be on to something, so let's get started. When Jesus taught in the temple, initially the listeners, all of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the elite of the day, were at first impressed by his teaching. They thought, oh, wow, how wise, and they marveled at his words, it said. But they also had a little bit of a slight, an underhanded remark, oh, for a carpenter's son, he's not so bad. In my books, I write more about this scene. You might think that if someone gave you a compliment and was impressed by your discernment or your wisdom or how articulate you spoke or with the authority with which Jesus spoke, you might think that the person might be flattered at the compliment. But it wasn't really a compliment. Jesus' response is interesting. He basically was not favorable to whatever frenemy flattery they were trying to give him. Later, when he healed people in the temple, they would become enraged at him. Or when they were trying to catch him in his words and argue with him when he was teaching the crowds, he would correct them almost in an exhortative way for the other listeners in the crowd so that they could possibly learn something. Oftentimes, Jesus gave examples or healed people whom they despised, and I talk about this in previous episodes. There was the woman with the hunched back, and there were the examples that Jesus gave of Naaman the Syrian and Zarephath the widow and others. And even the parable of the Good Samaritan was offensive to them because the three key players in that, the people who walked by this injured man, first was the the religious elite was the priest. Second was the Levite, who was also kind of a of a priestly order. And then third was the Samaritan. And the Samaritan was an ethnic difference than the Israelites. In fact, there were resentments between them through the generations. One thought that they had the holy hill to worship on, and the other thought that they had the holy hill to worship on. And this sounds a little bit familiar to some of the intergroup religious strife that we encounter today. Indeed, when Jesus was walking through and he set his face on Jerusalem and then the Samaritans didn't really engage him, the disciples got offended and they said, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? This was not unlike Jonah, who was sitting on his hill many generations before, waiting to see if God would bring down fire on Nineveh for their many sins that had festered not just for themselves, but for him and for the generations, this 
situation that we see unfolding again today, where the resentments fester over generations because wrongs aren't made right. Jesus said, no, don't call down fire from heaven. That's not the way. And then he goes and he ministers to a lone woman at the well drawing water. And he starts talking with her and strikes up a conversation with the Samaritan woman and tells her the story of her life without her explaining to him that she'd been with five different men and she had this story of her life and he didn't judge her. He revealed it to her. And she says, sir, I sense that you're a prophet. So she doesn't get offended at him. She receives the word that he gave her. And then she invites him into the town and tells the people about himself and they become saved. They believe in him and he stays for two days. So we have this huge story arc of a transformation through conversation and where Jesus came and he stepped in the middle of all of our intergroup strife and he says, this is not the way, I am the way. And he explains what he means by that. What did he mean by that? Well, the clue again is in his healing ministry. And when the angels heralded his advent, when he was born, they said, peace on earth, goodwill toward all people upon whom God's favor rests. That's a big mouthful and a lot of keywords, and each of those gives a clue to what the will of God might be for us as a people. So when we think about this idea of ascension, and I talk about this in terms of pride, of elitism, other words we might use that explain how ascension manifests. What are other words? There's supremacy, there's arrogance, there's narcissism, there's other ways that this word of ascension manifests in our dispositions, our attitudes, our positions, and the way we interact with each other and other groups who are not like us. So we think, for the religious order, it was a self-righteousness. They thought that they knew the way and they had the position before God, but they did not have the posture, the humility before him, nor did they have the lifestyle of aligning with Jesus' ministry and helping others to find God and find their healing path to the kingdom of God. So what does all of this mean? In our conversations today, we might ask, so what do you think about fill in the blank? It could be the vaccine. It could be the politics. It could be fill in the blank. What do you think about this topic over which people are arguing that has grabbed our attention in a certain kind of way? And this attention, by the way, is a certain kind of attention. When we talk about ascension, what other ways more practical ways, less big or heavy-handed ways do you see that manifesting in your life or in our world? There's metaphors that we use, such as climbing the social ladder or marrying up, or the algorithms in social media that encourage you to have confirmation bias that incense people based on their idea or their opinion, even simple more subtle ways of cognitive biases or distortions, limiting beliefs, things that we reduce to a simple heuristic, a simple idea or either or option, and we aren't open to understanding the bigger situation that's going on. 
we see manifestations of this as I voted this way, you voted that way, therefore we can't be friends. Therefore we're enemies in our church or our household or our neighborhood. And this too is an oversimplification of what's going on. In effect, it's almost a denial of the danger that we're in. Because rewinding way back to the Garden of Eden, when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, the temptation was for ascension. It was to be above God, not to be like God. That word like was a subtle trick. The word like didn't really reveal what he was up to. It was trying to sugarcoat what he was doing and present it as an angel of light. He was setting them at odds with God, at competition with him, at a need to rise above him or be him. In other words, to reduce his authority and sovereignty and to make him go away, to make God go away means we're replacing him, not being like him. We hear Jesus claim that he's God. The book of John has many I am statements, and I encourage you to look up and list what those are. One famous one was when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through me. And this interesting word choice of through is not the same as like. He's not promising or asking us to be above God. He's saying to make a passage to God. That's a different journey than the oversimplification of trying to rise above God. When we do that, who are we climbing over? (laughs) We're climbing over each other. We're all here in the same seemingly closed system. We're here on earth. We're trying to climb over each other to get ahead. That sounds very stressful. Remember, the promise of the heralds was actually almost to me as a prophecy that Jesus came to bring peace and goodwill. He himself later said he came to bring division. Now, this is an interesting word choice on his part that we think that, well, does that mean he is intending that we be divided? Or does that mean that because of him, we are divided There's, again, a difference between describing and prescribing. And I believe that in that statement, Jesus was describing the divisions that would come over him. Because we also read in John 17, his prayer for unity of the believers and that God would protect us from the evil one. And the evil one likes to scatter. It says in 1 Peter that he likes to look about to see whom he could pick off. Where are the weak ones here? I'm going to scatter this herd, if you will, and pick off the weak ones. So what's the alternative to ascension? Jesus tells us to do as I do. He said that when he was washing the disciples' feet, and Peter protested this. Peter's zeal would want him to not want Jesus to wash his feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't do this, you have no part in me. And then Peter replied, well, not just my feet, but all of me too. So that's not ascension. That's absorption. That's immersion. That's the idea of baptism that we're being transformed and changed completely into a new creation. So the do as I do is a statement about service, that instead of trying to be better than one another and expect other people to serve us, whether that be through the size of our tip or our vote, we as the church are serving others at the local level with our spiritual gifts in community and building others up 
not using others and discarding them to get ahead or to get our way or to get our vote or to fill in the blank. Today we might hear of news headlines of different individuals who have extra money sitting around and are able to afford going in rockets into space, and that's another manifestation of this idea of ascension. Somehow we're all wanting to get up and get higher than we already are. Now, I don't mind rockets. We have model rockets that we make on our 3D printer, and we go launch them with our sun, and it's great fun, and and it's a good afternoon in the sunshine. But what does the Apostle Paul say about this idea of ascension? And maybe he did not have that specific word in mind. He said to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Loop it back to the healing ministry of Jesus. What do you believe is God's will in our rising up? What does rising up look like in God's economy, in God's politic, in God's gospel? In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ascension promised is actually resurrection. He always wanted and wants us to have life. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life more abundantly. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus raised so many people from the dead in his healing ministry, and some of them were sons or children of parents or widows. What in the world makes a family into widowhood or orphanhood? We read in the book of James to have a ministry as a church of looking out for widows and orphans in their distress. And he adds, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I think one of the pollutions is, is this idea of ascension, because really what that is, is just another word for trying to be above God. And when we're trying to be above God, it's going to be very easy to try to be above others. And then all of the disorderly strife that follows. So how do you find this raising up in Christ? Well, in Romans, it says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. This statement takes care of this ascension. It says, Jesus is Lord. Glory to God, God in the highest, the most high God. Even the demons, when they recognized Jesus, they said, what do you have to do with us, son of the most high God? They know who is boss, and yet they don't worship him. They oppose him. So getting the posture of worship is important. Who we worship. We all worship something, even if it's not Jesus or some religious figure. We worship something, and you can know that based on your actions and priorities and investments of how you spend your time, how you spend your money, of how you put your emotions into things. If you feel angry over something, what is it and how is that important to you? What are you protecting? If you feel afraid of something, what are you trying to preserve or keep? There's always this worship principle in little ways in our everyday life. And Jesus offers a way to rise above that by having a worship of him. And he is a safe person to worship because of the second statement in the confession of being a Christian is to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he didn't just do it as a spectacle for us. 
the crowds would gather and watch to see, as it were to them, maybe what parlor trick he would do or what miracle he would do. They didn't understand that there was something bigger happening. Bringing it even closer to home and more heartfelt, someone that you love or lost or is lost to you, whether by mortality or distance in the relationship or some kind of break, that is a really sad and hard thing. Imagine with me what it must have felt like for that widow to have her son back. That's all we ever wanted. We All we ever wanted is to live and have those we love be okay. And I think that's really the heart of Jesus' ministry, the heart that drives it, is wanting us to be together, to be okay, to be healed, to be alive. This isn't oversimplifying it either. There's a richness to this idea that we are a heritage of God and he loves us as his children. So what does this mean for you today and me? What does this mean for our conversations? If someone asks you, what do you think about fill in the blank going on in the news and how you respond? What does this mean for where we're putting our hope and our anxiety or fears or anger? What does this mean for how we can level off a bit and slow things down We all need a collective pause, a collective pause to slow down the rhetorics, the words, the anger, the fear, and remember what really matters, that we're alive and we're okay. And it is within our reach to be neighborly and to extend that goodwill and peace as much as possible wherever we are today. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day and this opportunity to talk about you and how rich your story and your word and your gospel are. We pray for more peaceable goodwill in all of the earthly kingdoms. And we know that Satan even tempted you, Jesus, with the kingdom that he tries to deceive and stir up strife through the nations. And we thank you for your blessing of government, the goal to bring orderliness and peaceableness so that we can live our lives. We pray that we can be a light where we are, that it will go well with our city, so it will go well with us, that you make it possible to bring out life in our lives as we put down roots and, as it says in Jeremiah, the plant gardens to have children or, you know, mentor them or be available to the people in our lives to be a loving, peaceful influence. Please make that possible in us because without you doing that work in us, it's hard for us to do that work with others. We thank you for your love for us in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.